Thanks for the reading, Lorraine. That's great. Great to have more of 1 Thessalonians in front of us. And we're going to spend some time digging into that chapter today. And so it'd be great if you can keep that open. Uh, That would be really helpful. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us uh, to concentrate, to learn, and to be changed by this word. Let's, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving this letter Uh, an ancient letter. Father, we thank you that it's much more than the words of a man to a church, but it is your word to their church and through the ages and by your Holy Spirit to our church. Father, would you help us this morning to understand it? Would you help us to respond to it? And we pray, Father, you might build and establish your church here and around the world for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this week uh, just passed... I was in Sydney at this building here. Does anyone know what that building is? Some guesses? At Scott's Church. Uh, it's a Presbyterian church. Uh, it's the second building, Presbyterian building on that, uh, on that spot, sort of just across from Wynyard, uh, from Wynyard Station. And uh, this is a church that was founded uh, by John Dunmore Lang in 1823. It's had a little bit of an upgrade since then, as you can see. It's actually now got apartment blocks on top of it, uh, and the bottom section sort of the church in there. So I was doing, I was speaking in there. It's it's pretty amazing. So what we're saying is that that church is coming up on 193 years. That's pretty impressive in Australia, really, isn't it? Uh, they're actually looking ahead to their bicentenary as a church. Crazy. Only one small problem. About six months ago, the church was closed because it had got to the point where the number of people who were meeting there was six. That's pretty sad, isn't it? It's got all this history. It's got all this incredible resource. It's been founded in this incredible way by a truly amazing man. If you read up about John Don Molling, he's an incredible man. But it was shut down. Uh, they're going to try and reopen it again at the beginning of next year with a brand new pastor and start from scratch and see what they can do. But there's incredible history, amazing resource, and no church. Uh, This is a little church I'm familiar with. I don't know about you. Uh, This church was founded in 2012, and it's up to 4.75 years Uh, It's really interesting not only to think about the differences in architecture, but also the differences in age. So we're we're an absolute baby. It's so important to keep remembering that we're a baby. We're a little baby. Not quite as young as Hannah, but tiny. Four and three-quarter years old. That's that's us. You're here today, so that's great. We're we're, we're still moving forward, and we're well above six, so thank you for that. That's, uh, That's great. So there's a church in Sydney that's dying. Here's a church that we hope under God is continuing to grow. What about the church in Thessalonica, the church that this letter was written to? We believe that it was written about 51 AD. And at the time that the letter was written, it was no more than 0.25 years old. It was probably even younger than that. A baby church a tiny, precious baby church that had just been planted by the Apostle Paul. How had he done that? He'd rocked up, spoken in a synagogue, 
won some Jews over, spoken outside the synagogue, won some Gentiles over, and said, hey guys, do you get Jesus? I'm going to put you very awkward, non-matching people together and say what you have in common in Jesus trumps what separates you. I'm going to point you to the risen Lord Jesus who was crucified, who rose and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And I'm going to say that is the rock on which you should stand. By the way, won't be here next Sunday because uh, I'm being beaten up and chased out of town by the Jews. See ya. That's how this church was established. And that's the context. We have to remember that's the context. This baby, baby church with new believers who I'm thinking are going, did you catch what he said about Jesus, I think, is the main thing. Is that right? What we're going to see today is he got Jesus in, but he also got something else. In this very brief period of time that he had with them, he'd already taught them something else that they should expect. And we're going to see today how we will endure. How we will endure. So how did the church in Thessalonica endure? How should this church in Oran Park endure? And Father, we want to pray that a church that's replanted in Sydney will endure, yeah? How, how will we do it in the environment that we find ourselves in? Well, it's worth, it's worth pointing out, we, we have these, these two signs up the front. Uh, if you're a visual person, you, you probably wander to these uh, every now and again. So as a church, we talk about, we want to see new life in every home. How are we going to do it? We're going to give the message of new life about Jesus, and we're going to live new life for Jesus. That's how we tell the good news. This is how we live the, new, the good news out. And so we talk about four values. We talk about being faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. It's very, very important to me that the fourth one of our values is not just that we start a whole bunch of Christians off and that they get tired or get scared or get, and they drop off. The, that's not what we want. We want to make sure that we establish you, if you've come here as a Christian already, and help you to run long. If you become a Christian here, we want to help you be established so you can run long. We want you to endure. And so we have a, uh, a document that looks like this, uh, which is called Your Guide to Giving and Living the Message of New Life in Jesus. Has anyone seen this? Some of you will have to say yes, because I've put it in your hands. Uh, there's, there's some up the back. And, and inside that, we have a plan for how it is we'd like to help you live that out. And so under enduring, we've got some questions that will help us as we ask one another, run in such a way that we'll win the prize. So today, we're going to think about some of those questions, and I want you to help me build a church under God where we endure, where we endure. So let's see what we can learn about doing that from the Scriptures. It's our responsibility. Uh, there's a we and a me responsibility. I want you to keep running long, and we need to run long together. Uh, we see Paul, if you open up 1 Thessalonians, if you've got it there, 1 Thessalonians, uh, in chapter 2, just a little bit before where our reading was today, we see Paul's longing. This is what I spoke of last week. But brothers and sisters, I'm at verse 17 in chapter 2, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated you for, from, from you for a short time, in person, though not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Paul is saying, I was with you, I started you, I had to leave, but ever since I've left, I've been longing to return, 
longing to return and to see you. And his longing has been frustrated by Satan. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Does anyone remember what this is? I know you know. I'm just kind of playing along a little bit of a game. We don't see them very much anymore, do we? Chalkboards? Uh, as, As kind of a bit of a neat freak, I used to hate the way that over the term the board would get more and more messy. It always distressed me. But they get better and better to write on and rub off the more chalk they have on them. I used to love them at the start of term. You know when they've been painted black and everything's beautiful? But then they'd often make this sound. Do, do, do you know this sound? It's so funny, you can't do it on a whiteboard. I think that's the key upgrade, isn't it? <laughs> you can't do it on a whiteboard. But this sound, I cannot stand. I just can't, even just looking at it makes me kind of get a bit all, Ugh. do you know what I'm talking yeah, anyway, Some of you do, some of you don't. Uh, I couldn't stand it any longer. That, that's the vibe here. Have a look with me at chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Paul says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. Paul says, when I could stand it no longer, when the, when the feeling of longing for you to be established, when it overwhelmed us, what did I do? Well, I couldn't go back because I was going to get thrown in jail. But I sent Timothy. Timothy's a young man who'd been going on the mission trip with Paul and Silas. Uh, he's a young man, but I want you to see the beautiful way that Paul speaks about Timothy here. Just, just the way he lifts him up. Uh, He is our brother, verse 2, and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ. What a great resume, hey? So when Timothy turns up, what is he? Well, he's a brother, brother of Paul, top line, co-worker with God. That's not bad, is it? Beautiful resume for Timothy. So they send him to find out what's been going on. I I want you to note, I hope you didn't miss it, uh, verse 3 there says, uh, when it's talking about persecution, verse 3 says, so that no one will be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we were destined for them. Something truly remarkable had happened in this brief period of time that Paul had been in Thessalonica. He told them about Jesus, he died, he rose again, he's building his church, he's coming again in judgment, told them all of that. And I want you to know that what he slipped in as part of the core teaching was, we are destined for persecution. We we kind of go, well, Paul, when you're working through the, the, uh, the, the curriculum of things, where would persecution fit on the things you really need to teach young Christians? Have a think for yourself. Okay, it's down the list, isn't it? In this brief window of time that Paul has had, what he's told them is, oh, you know quite well, I told you that you were destined for persecution. Wow. There's something about this view of Christianity and the prevalence of persecution that says it shouldn't be a surprise. In fact, you knew you were destined for it. You know, we like to talk about our destiny. We like to talk about the exciting things that God has planned for us. And one of them apparently is... Wow, name that and claim it, hey? That's... 
We're destined. Persecution is our destiny. So what did Paul do? Well, he sent Timothy. Timothy is sent to strengthen and he's an envoy of encouragement. I, I love it. Okay, so what do we do? How can we love you? Well, I can't get you, as I said before, I can't get you on FaceTime or Skype. I can't call you. I, if I send a letter, I might as well send the guy with it to make sure it gets to you. Yep. So I'm going to send Timothy to you. What's his job? To strengthen you and to encourage you because this guy will do that. I send you my heart, my son in the faith. Timothy will come to to strengthen and to encourage you. It's a beautiful picture uh, of his love for the church. I want to ask you, what's the opposite of love? Hate. I think the opposite of love, we we naturally think it's hate. I want to say hate's still passion. I I, want to just dare to suggest that maybe it's apathy. See, if I hate you, I'm thinking about you. You're at least in my orbit. I'm directing all sorts of dreadful thoughts about you. You know, I'm stabbing with pins my little doll or whatever it is that you do. Don't do that. But apathy, apathy is something else entirely. Apathy is, you see, see, love inquires with longing and apathy never even stirs to guilt from its selfishness. So apathy doesn't even know it hasn't inquired about you. It doesn't even feel guilty about not caring about you. Apathy just blobs. So I actually think the opposite of love is apathy. And so Paul is in no way uh, apathetic as he looks at these, at these Christians. He is overwhelmed with passion and love and devotion for them. When we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves. So uh, I want to do something practical today, which is just going to be fun. Uh, Russ, can you help me? Uh, Luke, can you help me as well? I'm going to get as many people as possible to have a piece of paper to write something on. Now, you've got a Care and Connect card, but I'm going to want that back. Can you go back that way? Um, So grab a piece of paper, take one, and pass it on. What I want you to do in the sermon today is actually to write down an answer to the questions that I ask you. I think I've got about four questions. And I want you to see if you can write down an answer to these questions. You're like, I didn't know I had to participate today. I was planning on not. Very good. Gotcha. So uh, one of the questions that we've got in our, in our little brochure here, it, it says, where are you weak and in danger of falling? Then it says, who knows you well enough to ask this question? And what I want to ask you is, who knows you well enough to ask how you're doing? The Thessalonian church had Paul longing intensely for them enough to send Timothy. Who knows you well enough to ask how you're doing? And I'm going to change one of these words up here. Not just knows you, who loves you well enough to ask how you're doing. And when I say how you're doing, I don't mean, did you sleep well last night? That's nice. I've been told that you actually have to be asked three times before you give the right answer. So, uh, we, we won't do it live, but, but if I was to say to Luke, hypothetically, Luke, how are you doing? What would be the first response, Luke? Good thanks. good thanks. Okay. I don't have to think about that. I know my answer is good thanks. It's built into my, hardwired into my brain. Someone says, how are you going? I can say good thanks and be thinking about something else. I'm a man, so how about that? So I can, I can say back, fine thanks, because I don't even need to think about that answer. If I say to him, how are you doing, mate? Very good, thanks. So that's the one where you go, please stay away from me. 
you're getting, you're now inquiring. But if I was asked a third time, I won't do it, Luke, so I won't, I won't put, but if I was to ask a third time, no, mate, how are you doing? What happens then? Then we might actually be able to have a conversation. If we think that we're asking how people are doing when we say, how are you doing? I'm telling you, you're not. Because I won't tell you. And if people pull the trigger back to you on the first, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. And they start downloading data. Then we go, oh, I wasn't really asking you. I don't want that. We're terrible at doing this. Who knows, who loves you well enough though to ask how you're genuinely doing, how you're traveling in Jesus, how you're going being an apprentice to Jesus. Who knows you? Who loves you enough to ask that question? Now, I'm confident this morning that it is entirely possible that you might have a blank next to that. And while I'm confident about that, it makes me very sad. What we want to do here is build a church where you can be known and you can be loved. And as we get bigger, there will be a structure where you can be known and loved, which will be our life groups. See, because I can't know all of you right now. I can't know all of you right now. I can't know where all of you are. I'll endeavor to, but I won't. I'll fail. I'll let you down. What we want to do is build a structure, have a place where you can relate around food, prayer, and God's word, where someone can know you well enough, where you can trust someone well enough to be able to answer that question. And I, I think, I think we've, we've struggled with doing this as well as we could, and we want to keep growing in it, don't we, Jeff? We want to keep growing in it. It's one of my, one of my hopes for next year. But I want to ask you, who knows you well enough to ask how you're doing? Uh, these are some pictures of, uh, I, I dug into my photos box, my photos box. Now, wow, not, not my device. These aren't on my device. I had to go into my photos. They're hard printed. You know, they come in those yellow sleeves. You guys will remember this, yeah? And they've even got negatives in the front of them. I'm like, look at this, how quaint. Anyway, these pictures here are pictures of people that I have done Christian ministry with over the years. People that I love to bits. And I, when I hear how they're doing, so, so down the, the, the front one here is kids that we led in, um, in Sunday school for years. And uh, this little boy, James here, you might have heard me talk about him before, he gave his life to Jesus when he was four. I, I think I said it just recently, but I was sitting in a wedding, yeah? And, uh, and his mum told me he still loves Jesus, 20, turn, just turned 21, still loves Jesus. How do I feel about that? So encouraged that God used me in that. This is a group of people that I prayed with every Saturday morning for about 10 years. Crazy bunch of people who are now scattered across the world doing mission and Christian teachers. I'm always encouraged when I hear how they're going. This, this group up here, <laughs> funny group called Mobs Men Only Bible Study. It was for teenage boys. And we did that for about the same period, for about 10 years. And those boys encouraged my heart so much when I hear how they're going. Have a listen to Paul's concern for those that he had loved. I'm always, I'm always thinking about these guys and wondering how they're doing. Uh, verses, uh, verses four to five. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. He was worried about those he cared for. And I guess I want to say, church growth is always precarious. It's always precarious because there's an enemy prowling around looking to destroy. 
Church growth is always, at that sense, precarious. And so Paul is fretting for his church. He's worried about his church. I I wanted to tell you why we have this uncertainty. Uh, This is my overview of the Bible. That half there is the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. We talk about from the fall, our uh, orange world uh, up here, all the way through to where we are today, that's, that's where we are in the timeline there, before Jesus comes back and judges the world as the present age. It's a world ever since the fall that's been marked by sin and death and suffering. We look forward to the age to come, which goes on into eternity, which started when Jesus came into the world. Jesus brought the beginning, the first fruits of the age to come. Now we live in this period which is called the overlap of the ages. And what that means is we're looking forward to the glory of the world to come. That's been promised and assured by Jesus' death and resurrection. But we're still in the bit before that's all wrapped up where sin and suffering and sickness and death and disease mark our world. And we live in this overlap. Jesus has started the age to come. But the present age hasn't finished. So we're in this overlap of the ages. And in this space here, in this space, there will be persecution. In this space, there will be temptation. In the age to come, guess what? Gloriously, both of those will be missing. Isn't that great? Not only will we not sin in the future world, but we won't be tempted to sin because the devil and death and sickness, disease, weakness, heartache, all of that will be gone in the age to come. But right now, persecution and temptation afflict us. Why are they dangers for the church? Well, probably not rocket science, but but let me just lay it out. Why persecution? Under persecution, we can cause to doubt the goodness and love of God that we put our trust in. So if I'm persecuting, you can go, God, did I drop off your special map? Did you lose me under the carpet somewhere? How can this be happening to us and to our church? With temptation, with temptation, it causes us to desire, it causes us to desire the things we don't have and blinds us to the things that we do. So what it does is temptation says to us, look away from what you have and fixate on what you can't have. That's that's behind all temptation. It robs us of thankfulness and puts in its place unsatisfied lust and desire for what we can't have. Persecution makes us doubt the goodness of God. Temptation blinds us to the gifts of God. So here's a question that we have on our card, on our brochure here. I want you to think about this seriously. I reckon you know the answer. I want to dare you. You don't have to show this piece of paper to anyone. But I want to dare you to think about the answer to this question. Where are you weak and in danger of falling? Where are you weak and in danger of falling? And if you sit here today and you go, nah, I'm doing great, you can write down arrogance. I, I, I'll say this. I'm, I'm off script here for a second, but I'm going to say this. I, I've met three guys um, who have uh, sinned sexually against their wives who were in ministry. Each one of them told me that they thought it would never happen to them. That was what they said. It'll never happen to me. The Bible says pride comes before a fall. 
If you reckon you've got no weaknesses, your weakness is you don't know you've got weaknesses. I want you to think where it is that you're weak and in danger of falling. It may be that you're in danger of being overwhelmed by anxiety and not trusting the living God. It may be that you're in danger of turning your work into idolatry. It may be that your strength and ability to raise money means you have no need to trust God anymore. You are your own God. It may be that you've exalted your family above God and their needs come before his. It may be any number of private temptations, unknown to anyone else but known to you. Where are you weak and in danger of falling? And this morning, I I know that for me. And I'm not going to tell you. But it's real. I, I have weakness. Lord, have mercy. Sustain us. But we need to know it. And the question that sits underneath it in the brochure is, where are you weak in danger of falling? And then who knows you well enough to ask this question? Have you, uh, have you noticed that everything has a day and night now? With these medicines, right? You've got the daytime one that I assume has some sort of artificial stimulant in it. And then the other one has a thing that puts you to sleep. I don't know. I think it's doing something for my cold, but it's also pepping me up in the day and it's making me go to sleep in the night. Anyway, but do you know this? Night and day things? You're looking at me like I'm weird. Do you know them? Okay, good. Night and day. The idea is that round the clock, I can be spending my money on pharmaceuticals. Isn't that great? We've created a way to make sure you keep taking them even when you're going to sleep. All right. Have a look at Paul's night and day. Have a look at verse 6. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters... In all our distress and persecution, we're encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in in the presence of our God because of you? Verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Isn't he beautiful? First of all, real joy says if you want to truly live, real joy is found in ministry standing firm. So you go, I'm, I'm investing myself in New Life Kids. The, the absolute joy of your life will be when we marry some of those kids in this building. Isn't this awesome? When we marry some of those kids in this building and they walk down here and they give their lives to Jesus, uh, give, give their lives to each other, having already given their lives to Jesus. They are standing firm and they found a family. You want to be encouraged? Invest in the ministry where you can see people standing firm. Interestingly enough, meeting up is the key to strengthening. So why did we send Timothy? We sent Timothy to meet with you to encourage you. Can I encourage you as a church? I think we need to do better at meeting up with one another outside of Sunday. And that's, can I just be really honest about why we don't do that? It's really hard, it's awkward, and it's inconvenient. So why would you ever do it? Because it's really great for strengthening other Christians to run the race because you'll be strengthened as you do it. I think we need to get better at that. So I want to ask, not only that we would try and do some more meeting up, but I actually want to see if we can pray for one another. I'm not as good at this as I should be, right? 
I'm your minister, so that's a bit of a shame. But here's the thing. Paul says he prays night and day for them, most earnestly, that they would stand firm. Do you reckon they're loved? Man, do you know what the problem with my praying is? I have to remember you. You, I actually have to remember you to pray for you. And the person I remember quite a bit is me. And the people that are one degree of relational separation from me, I'm pretty good at praying for them. How do I pray for you? I've got to create a way that I keep remembering you and lifting you up and encouraging you. So what I want to encourage all of us to do is to see if we can make Monday a day of pastoral prayer. So in other words, on Monday, I will remember you. On Monday, will you remember someone else? And just make Monday the day where we go, I was at church yesterday, who did I see? What conversation did I have over tea or coffee that now can be turned into prayer? I can pray about the football game. No, I'm, I'm so rude. Um, wouldn't it be great if we shared over morning tea things that could be prayer on Monday? That's three asks. Remember how you're going, how you're going, now how you're really going. All right. So what I'm going to ask you, church, can we be praying on Monday for what we saw on Sunday? And if you miss somebody, guess what? Drop them a text. Didn't see you on Sunday. How are you doing? Are you with me? All right. So will you make Monday a day of pastoral prayer? Uh, I love this overflowing picture. Uh, have a look at verses 11 to 13 with me. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ make the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. So what does Paul want to see? He wants to see their hearts overflow with love. And it's interesting to note, prayer is the avenue for godly worry. So Paul's worried about his church. So what does he do? He develops an ulcer. No, no. He develops, I mean, this is crazy stuff. He develops calluses on his knees in answer to his worry. Night and day, I pray for you, is what he says. I'm so worried about you, I'm praying to God for you. Oh, it's just beautiful. And what's he praying? He's praying that their love will abound more and more. So I want to ask, who are you strengthening to run the race to the end? Who are you strengthening to run the race to the end? The, the idea here is that if we all strengthen one person to the left, what will happen? You're going to get the logic here, don't you? Okay. So if we're all strengthening someone else, the idea is you will be strengthened in turn. You, you need not worry that you'll miss out. It's that every one of us would be committed to strengthening someone else. And if your idea of coming to church is to be an island, guess what? you'll miss out on the joy of giving and receiving encouragement. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Be someone who is willing to strengthen someone else to run the race to the end. Have you got a name down? Have you got an intention where you go, this is blank, and I'm going to fill it up soon over morning tea? And even if I don't know their name, I can look at this ridiculous sticker they have on them and learn their name, and that way I can encourage them. Yeah? It's such a beautiful picture. Paul says, now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. I delight to see you growing, church. 
I delight. I, I, I've asked some of you uh, who have dared to click on the link in the newsletter to fill in a survey saying how we're doing. If you haven't done that already, can I encourage you to do it? Fill it in. It takes a varying amount of time. <laughs> some people it's taken four minutes for and some people it's taken 10 minutes for. Can I ask you to fill the survey in? Uh, if you're not a regular here, but you've just joined us, can I ask you to fill the survey in? Um, we would love to hear from you on how we're doing. But here's the thing. I've been looking at those results. I'm going to share them next week at our vision gathering. I want to tell you how you're saying we're going. But let me tell you, my heart is overflowing with encouragement. You are telling me that you are growing. What a joy and a delight for Jeff and I as we pastor and love you. What a joy. Now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So today, with your pen, I hope you've got down a weakness. And if not, please prayerfully consider it. I hope you've got down someone to care for. I hope you've got down that you are making a commitment to pray on Monday. I hope you've got down the idea that you would like to have someone share with you how that they will strengthen you. So I'm willing to be strengthened and I'm willing to strengthen someone else. Here's why. Here's why. Our uh, screen out there is going to get rustier and rustier. How beautiful is that? Our panes of glass, coloured glass, may crack. Our grass will grow. The suburb around us is going to multiply. What do I long to see? That there would be a church of people who name, love and honour Jesus here, who give and live the message of new life in Jesus so that new life may come to every home here over the next hundred years. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God who enables us to stand. You're the God who strengthens us. You're the God who establishes his church. You're the God who says that the gates of hell will not overwhelm your church. And yet, Father, we see churches fall by the wayside. Your church will always stand. Father, may you enable this church to stand as we encourage, strengthen, and equip one another. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.